Lucy knew there was no time to sit puzzling as to what these invisible creatures might be. As soon as the thumping noise had died away, she got up and ran along the path after the others as quickly as her legs would carry her. They must at all costs be warned. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive despite our few-week break uh, into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I am Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us and for putting up with our break. Uh, Just a reminder, because it's been a bit, that today we are talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we will go on to tangents into other stories and pop culture. Uh, we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter 9, The Island of Voices. That That hey. is all that's on this island. Hey, man. Hey, we're back. We're back, dude. We made it. What? Why, why were we gone again? Um, some chump had a baby. Oh, gross. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that's like holding a water balloon. Some would say, uh, insert stinger here. Uh, but we, uh, yeah, man, I had a baby and, uh, now we're figuring out how to podcast and, uh, do all that, uh, in the midst of baby world. So that's cool. Um, but Chase. Baby world is an underrated theme park. Baby world. Sounds like a horrible theme park as someone who now has a baby. It's just people competing to change diapers the quickest. It sounds loud, smelly, and just like a lot of not sleep. That sounds like a regular theme park, not gonna lie. That's hilarious. And I'm, you're not wrong. Uh, Chase, speaking of uh, a theme park, you wanna hit us with a summary? I would love to. Well, welcome you into this theme park uh i'm I'm relating it because this podcast is so much fun yeah so much fun it's not loud and smelly at all um our summary today in this ninth chapter of the voyage of the dawn treader uh so the dawn treader continued to sail east and day after day they saw no other ships or land or fish or shore or or anything uh, their stores began to get low again, and but then finally, on the last day that they thought they could risk even continuing their journey, they saw a low land appear on the horizon. They landed and found the place just completely empty and silent as if it were completely uninhabited, but all the grass was short and kept and level and clean as if there were 10 groundskeepers there. And then they came across a tree-lined path going towards a house, but still no people. At that point, Lucy noticed she had a rock in her shoe. And so she stayed back a moment from the group to get it out. And as the others got further and further away and she couldn't hear them anymore, she began to hear something else, a strange thumping sound, not even coming from the direction of the house, but it was getting closer and closer to her. And she could hear it clearly, but saw nothing. And then She heard it on the path and saw sand scatter, but still no person there to scatter it. Then came the voice. It was dreadful because she couldn't see anything, but she heard voices talking to their chief about getting between uh, the crew and their boat. and, And then she heard all the thumping again, moving away from her as they went towards the sea. When the sound was gone, Lucy ran as fast as she could to warn the others. 
they had reached the house and were wondering why they didn't see anybody, but there was a column of smoke coming out from the chimney and they went through the gate into a courtyard where there was a water pump moving without anyone working it. They concluded that some sort of magic or machinery was at work and then Lucy ran up to meet them and shared what she had overheard. They discussed their plan and decided that they'd have to fight their invisible enemy. They drew their weapons and crossed back towards the shore. When they arrived at the beach, they heard a voice say to stop, that there were 50 warriors blocking them with weapons. Then they said that they wanted the little girl Lucy to do something for them. They revealed that the island was owned by a cruel magician. They were had been his servants, but he told them to do something they didn't like. When they said they didn't want to, he grew enraged and cast a spell that uglified them. That has made them ugly. After this, they waited till he fell asleep and then went upstairs to his house to try to find a way to undo the ugly with his magic spell book, but they could only make themselves invisible to not have to look at it. And for some reason, the only person who could undo the spell is a little girl, not clearly explained why. This is why they wanted Lucy to go into the magician's house and fix the situation by undoing the spell. And they threatened to slit the crew's throats if they didn't help. Lucy agreed, even though Caspian objected. She figured it might not be as dangerous as it seemed, and she didn't want them all to be killed. The invisible people cheered, and when the decision was announced, and then they agreed to stay the night before accomplishing the task, because why not camp with the people who want to kill you? I heard that there's never anything that goes wrong in scenarios like that. Yeah. I mean, nothing ever goes wrong on camping trips. Nothing also ever goes wrong when you're having to deal with a potentially dangerous magician inside of Narnia and you're a little girl. I mean, historically, has always worked out fine. Historically, it all works out in the end, uh, you know? If anything, sometimes, this magician will die off screen and we won't even see why or how. Nope. Sometimes that magician might unwillingly, you know, release a super evil into the world. But, you know, that is what it is. Uh, but Chase, this is a, an interesting chapter because it's basically crew arrives at Island crew sees a house. Lucy falls behind and hears sounds and voices goes, warns crew, invisible people threaten crew and they form a plan like a quest with the invisible people. Cool. That's more or less. That's more or less. We're I'm done. glad that for my first podcast back, we could end this in 10 minutes, you know? It's really convenient. It, it is super convenient for me. I'm pretty sure I hear crying in the background. Maybe I'm just PTSD with crying and pooping and uh, all the things. But, uh, but no, so to, the, you know, to get back to the podcast um, at hand, so the crew, they're sailing to this new island. They're, they're moving forward uh, and uh, in their adventure everyone's good and healthy and they decide to keep going. And, uh, they, you know, he describes this, like, this is like C.S. Lewis being C.S. Lewis again, where he talks about, you know, these things are like, is this going to be important where he's like, the sun is getting larger or, you know, they, the, the sea went on forever. Like, are these things important? The answer? No, no, not. Yeah. Uh, At one point he makes it seem like they're getting closer to the sun, the further they sail as if they're going to sail off the edge of the world. Never comes up again. Never comes up again. But he kind of props that into the first paragraph. Correct. 
Uh, and so they finally make themselves, uh, they make uh, their way to this island. They uh, harbor in this bay and they make their way to the land. Uh, and they're like, wow, it seems like it's empty and isolated, but it also seems like it's really well manicured. It talks about how having like really like well-kept mowed green lawns, like very well garden intended. Um, there's no like broken branches or anything. It's like very well upkept. So they're like, this is they landed on a golf course. Yeah, more or less. They landed on like a little country club, uh, but like an English villa. I believe it's Pemberton uh, or Bridgerton. I don't know. Insert English name here. Um, yeah, Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Uh, but they, you know, they're like, okay, well, it seems uninhabited, but uh, it also seems very inhabited. Let's just assume that there's no one here. Oh, but there's also that house in the distance. Probably no one lives here. No, not even with the smoke coming from the tr- chimney. The house is probably just on fire, if we're honest. I mean, that seems logical to me, but like a slow burn intentionally. Yeah, yeah. a very slow smolder. From a chimney in yeah. the spot that fires go. Uh, yeah. but it's a convenient fire, but it's still a fire. Speaking of convenient fires, uh, or more just maybe convenient ways of enacting plot, uh, C.S. Lewis was like, I need a way to get Lucy off of like off on her own, but she doesn't rebel. She doesn't just wander on her own and do stupid things. So how can I get Lucy on her own? And I can't use the Aslan card because I've done that too many times now with Lucy. I know what I'll do. She's got a rock in her shoe. And, and you she's going to be super exciting plot point that happens in all your favorite adventure novels. Oh yeah. The rock in the shoe. And she leans down to take the rock out of her shoe. And, you know, as opposed to any normal kind of hiking trip or crew, especially when one of the members is, I don't know, the queen of Narnia and the only girl on your crew, you just leave her behind. You don't even check and see how she's doing. She doesn't need any man to check on her and how she's doing. I mean, potentially, but she's also going to then immediately get surrounded by invisible enemies. To be fair, as far as we can tell, the invisible enemies do not notice her, which is the weirdest part of this chapter that is fairly weird to me. Do they do they notice her or do they not? Because I'm I'm wondering if it's all a ploy, like if they saw her from the beginning and they've said things because as we will spoiler. So what happens is Lucy gets the rock in her shoe. She takes it out and she looks up and everyone's gone. And then she begins to hear thumping all around her and she begins to hear voices. She hides behind a tree, even though she doesn't know where all the voices are coming from. And then she hears the voices say something along the lines of, hey, this is our chance. Let's separate them from their boat uh, so that we can get them. Now, I don't know, Chase, like, do did they say this so that Lucy would go and be with the crew? Or are they saying this when and not knowing she's there? Because, spoiler for the next few chapters, we know that their intent is not to kill. And that, in fact, they never could. Yeah, I don't think they'd have that ability. Um, I don't know. The picture I have in my head of reading this is that she's crouched next to a tree. They don't see her. And she's hearing this thumping sound. And then it comes down right next to her, kind of like in a movie if like... Like, say, like a taken, like you're hiding under the bed, you hear the noises coming towards you, then suddenly 
the feet are right next to your face, but they can't see you. Like I, the picture in my head is that sort of thing. Um, but it's not really clear. One thing we do know for sure about these invisible people is that they're very dumb. And so the, it wouldn't be surprising. Yes. So the judgment made on them later is going to be incredibly accurate. So, uh, the, whenever they get, whenever Lucy, so she decides to go warn them because she's brave and she's a hero. She goes, she goes and warns the rest of the Narnians about their invisible foe. Uh, and they, you know, like they, the, the rest of the crew had made their way to the house and they see smoke coming and they see a water pump going on its own. And they're like magic. And then Eustace is like, finally civilization. They have mechanisms. They have machinery. Which, which is really funny. I mean, it is, but also, doesn't that mean that there's someone there? You would assume, Chase. Because they don't have machinery. And they don't put it together that there is someone or at least something there until Lucy runs up and explains that they have invisible enemies. And they're like, well, that's a bummer. Uh and they're like, what did they sound like? Did they sound like humans with human footsteps? And she's like, I don't know, dude. Like, they're invisible. Yes. Tell me about their feet. <laughs> like, what do you what do you want me to say here, man? What a stupid thing. What? Come on. Um, but uh, eventually, when they are going to get surrounded, and we'll, I'm going to skip ahead real quick and then skip back to where we are, because the judgment you made of them being super dumb, like, eventually they will be called really dumb and really cowardly and it is like these creatures that is their defining characteristic over the next couple chapters which who among us couldn't be described as such at some point i mean i guess but also like that's a it's a rough look for these creatures their purpose is literally to just be dumb and and like cowardly I can't think of a non-mean joke to make. So there isn't anything mean there. Or there isn't anything not mean. But so we get back and the crew is now trying to develop a plan uh, of what to do uh, because they're like, well, if they're going to try to cut us off from our boat, we don't know where they are, how many there are, if they have weaponry or anything like that. Should we try to signal to the Dawn Shredder to like, you know, like come pick us up? And then Drain's like, nah, it's too shallow. We can't do that. Uh, and they're like, okay, what if we swam to it? Uh, and Reaper Cheap, Reaper Cheap is incredibly rational in this chapter. He's gotten progressively more rational through the series. Like, yeah, he didn't uh, start out this thoughtful, which he might just be wanting to go to fight because that is his whole deal. Could be, uh, but he's a he's a mouse with some gray hairs. You know, he's starting to learn. You know, he's been hit through his share of battles. And he understands reality where he's like, listen, this is an invisible foe with an un like an unknown amount of creatures that we face with an unknown skill set, unknown weaponry. There is no way that we can avoid confrontation with them. So whatever we do, we might as well face them face to face as much as we can, as opposed to trying to be surprised. And they're like, fair enough. So they go uh, and like they, you know, they're they're just trying to like figure out what to do caspian's like all right everyone like uh you know say say your say your goodbyes to each other like shake hands let's you know hurrah hurrah 
Lucy get an arrow and a string and shoot these invisible creatures somehow. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a bow and arrow is the least effective weapon for dealing with invisible enemies. At least a sword, you can you just chop wildly. Yeah. Everyone else grab a sword, but like Lucy, you're a girl. We don't, you know, believe in girls having swords. Uh, insert joke here. But uh, they, like, they decide they're going to go and fight. And the invisible creatures are like, all right, that's far enough. You know, uh, Chase thinks that they're Cockney, uh, like British. That That is how I read them. I don't know why. There's, it's not like written like Hagrid. It, it's, it's not. And there have been characters written like Hagrid by C.S. Lewis. I think it's just like the way their speech gets chopped up. I'm just like, these are probably Cockney British people. Could be. But uh, they're like, all right, that's as far as you'll go. We've got you surrounded. We've got 50 or more of us here with weapons. And like every time they say something, the ch- or the chief speaks and the rest of them uh chase pause apparently we're on a timer right now oh fun we haven't had a timer anytime we've done this i don't think we have that's fun so if this runs out we'll just have to be aware and we'll start a new zoom call i guess cool i'm not cutting any of this out okay all right pause back in uh but uh, so they uh, surround them and they say, hey, we've got you surrounded. We've got weapons. Uh, and every time the chief speaks, the uh, the rest of them just agree with him repeatedly. And they're like, yeah, you you said it, chief. You did a great job saying it. Uh, they're really affirmatory uh, there. Um, and then Reepichip the whole time is like questioning the validity of the things they're saying. He's like, I don't see 50 of you, which granted, you can't see any of them. Uh, yeah, and then, even one of them. but they're they'll be like, uh, like we, you know, we have we need we have weapons, and he's like, Do you like I don't believe you? Uh, but they explain that their plan requires a little girl, and Chase, they just so happen to come upon a party that has one little girl, crazy, which again, I said it earlier. Not explained really why. Like, they just kind of say, well, the only person who can help us is a little girl or the magician himself. Either one. So, basically, they the, the chief explains his story. And the long and short of it is they were on this island as servants to this magician. And this cruel magician, I've, I say that with quotes right now because they are lacking in perspective which I'll get to later in my further up and further in, in a great rage because they, the creatures didn't do something they didn't want to do, which is very vague. Um, he uglified them, made them ugly so that they can't be looked at. They couldn't look ban- They couldn't stand to see the sight of each other. So they crept into his house, opened his spell book and, cr- and cast a spell on themselves to make themselves invisible. And now for some reason, they need a little girl to perform the counterspell so that they can be made visible instead. That's the story. That's it. First off, I think they're just middle schoolers. They could be. 
They just are, they don't have a great sense of telling a story. Uh, what's funny is like C.S. Lewis goes on to mention that they're like also annoying the whole time is like, even though the chief is like telling the story, he gets interrupted every six or seven words. Uh, they're, and- they're annoying. They don't do their chores. They're kind of dumb. They don't have good perspective, but they think they're right. Correct. They turned ugly all of a sudden and just want to be invisible instead. Bro, that's an incredible point. It That is very very immature insecure middle schooler uh but they even like even when the chief makes a mistake because lucy's like what does that have to do with me what like what does that have to do with any of us uh and the chief is like oh i've gone and left out the whole point and they're like yeah you did no one leaves out a point like you do chief which is hilarious i'm a which, big fan of that. if anything good can be said for this crew they're great hype men great cheerleaders man they are they are for sure the kind of people you want in your corner, but um, maybe not because they suck as well, but you know, at least they're encouraging. Um, but they say, we've been waiting for a little girl and we need you to do this. Uh, and Reaper chief is like, what are you going to like? Are you going to force us with your weapons? Like, I don't even think you have any. And they, you immediately see a spear hit a tree and they're like that. Yeah, we all have weapons. They only become visible when they're away from us. And they're like, okay, I guess. Um, sure. Whatever you but, say. Whatever you say, man. Uh, and they're like, Lucy, there's no way you can do this. Uh, you shouldn't do this because, you know, it could be dangerous. It's a magician. And we have experience with magicians in these here parts. Uh, and she's like, well, it's either face this, which I don't think is that bad because I think these guys are dumb and more cowardly than we think they are. So it's probably not as bad as we think. And then the alternative is we have to face an invisible foe that has weapons. So, yeah, which I mean, fair enough. But also, she she has a good read on the situation. At the end of okay. the day, like Lucy's right, but I'm like, what what would make you think that it's not as bad as it might seem, or like the magician might like they have no evidence on the magician side of this equation. Correct. As much as like Reepicheep is skeptical of the dumb invisible voices, like they have shown that they have at least one weapon. Yeah. And, and there's no reason to believe that they don't have more. Yeah. And there's no reason to believe that there's not 50 of them mm. and that they can actually hurt them in some way, other okay. than just the fact that they kind of have the vibe of people who really wouldn't be that effective at getting their own job done. Totally. But at the end of the day, the person who convinces everyone else that Lucy should be able to go is Reepicheep. He's going, hey, here's the thing. Like, she's got sound logic and she's brave. She's capable. If she wants to do this, I stand by her. We obviously don't know what we're cap- like, what, you know, fighting here will look like. So I stand with her and everyone else is like, well, if Reepicheep, the guy who is like bloodthirsty, is not willing to go into a fight here, we should probably listen to him. And feminist icon reap cheap feminist icon, man. Uh, but he decides like, Hey, let's not do this. And everyone else is like, well, we still feel kind of cowardly for sending Lucy to do this on our behalf, but this seems like it's our only option. And hopefully they're not that bad because you know, it could be worse. And then the chapter ends. Yeah. It's just over. Nothing happens. That's it. They decide to camp for the night with them. Because they're like, oh, yeah, it's totally okay if you go in the daytime. We don't need, we, you shouldn't go at night. We're scared of the dark. And they're like, okay, well, all right. But 
Chase, that's that's a uh, that's how we we end it. But would you like to uh, take us further up and further in? I would love to take us further up and further in, Kel. Uh, so for mine, I wanted to focus in on kind of the vibes and themes of horror and suspense uh, in this chapter. So in this chapter, we show up on this eerily empty, quiet island, nothing to be seen, but everything is a little bit too perfect. And then conveniently, Lucy gets held back from her group, and then she starts to hear. And then strange voices, unseen sounds of threats, uh, really all these hallmarks of a horror movie. Of course, it's still C.S. Lewis. It's done in a very kid's story way, but uh, it kind of goes down this road of suspense and uh, leaning into the threats that you can't see. And like, even like, if you look at like how Steven Spielberg shoots his movies, it kind of goes along with that idea that like, if you can't really see the villain, if you can't really see the threat, uh, that's the scariest thing. Like, if we could actually see these people, we wouldn't feel threatened at all. If, if you could see them with their spoiler alert, giant one footed, like just body, you, you wouldn't feel like they could do anything to harm you or keep you from your boat, but not seeing it is what makes it scary. Not knowing the reality is what builds up the threat because they could be an army. They could have a lot of weapons. And C.S. Lewis does a pretty good job here, uh, albeit, again, in a very like children's book kind of way. Like He's not going to go into blood and gore. He's going to stay at like silence and suspense. But of building up that expectation of, like, well, something could go wrong. Maybe it's probably reasonable that Lucy should have to go into the haunted house by herself to like fight this magician and that's uh yeah this is this is our horror movie chapter of the book totally and he 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 hasn't really explored that that like genre much uh so i think they, there was like one chapter at the very beginning of magician's nephew yeah that had it but we haven't really seen it much no so that's fun my further up and further in similar vein but it is uh making decisions based on a limited perspective. Uh, we have, that is kind of a theme that you see with everyone in this chapter. Obviously, we see the the Narnian crew making decisions based on a limited perspective because they don't know what their foe looks like, what they're capable of. They only are aware of what has been revealed to them, what they what they can hear, what they're being told, uh, by an unreliable narrator, uh, you know, in these invisible creatures and what they, you know, they hear these thumping sounds, which will turn out to be just as Chase said, a big foot. That's the thump. It's not a mallet. It's not a weapon. You know, it's a limited Bigfoot. perspective. Terrifying. One big foot, not Bigfoot, the creature, much more scary, but they, you know, he, they're, they're, operating on limited perspective they don't know what they're what they're actually dealing with they see one spear be you know thrown but they don't know what the capabilities are of the group as a whole and as it will turn out in the next chapter they're not really capable of much warfare uh they're they're bluffing and then the magician 
they're they only know of the magician based on what they've been told by these unreliable narrators uh who as they can tell already are not the brightest they're not the cleverest they're not the uh the most courageous so they're dealing with something that they don't necessarily know a lot about uh and then even the creatures themselves, as we will learn, they are operating on limited perspective based on their own fears and their own ignorance and naivete. They make decisions and judgments uh, about the magician and figuring out like, okay, now we have to do something about this, right? Uh, so everyone is operating on limited perspective. It's the classic proverb of three blind men trying to describe an elephant but one of them has the leg, one of them has the trunk, one of them has a tusk, you know, they're all describing different things. And so they're all going to come up with different answers. One of them thinks it's a tree. One of them thinks that it's a spear. One of them thinks that it's a snake, right? Uh, because they're all holding different aspects of the elephant without taking the whole, like the whole picture uh, into place. And that's what the, the characters in this chapter and in this segment are lacking is full perspective. Uh, they're not seeing things from the big picture. They're only seeing it with a limited scope, which is tough, especially when your scope is invisible. My scope is mouthwash. Hey, Chase, no one ma washes their mouth like you do. No one does it. Man, I feel great. <laughs> hey, dude, no one feels great like you do, Chase. Man. Well, you know, Kel, we are all so cowardly and dumb. but No one's would... cowardly and dumb like us. Heck yeah. If you want to be part of our Cowardly and Dumb crew and you don't want us to kill you before you get to your boat, you should go and like and subscribe to this podcast and yeah. leave a five-star rating and review. That's a great plan, Chase. Thanks, Kel. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Uh, and you should go on Instagram and follow us at Chronicles of Podcasts where you can see when we post new episodes uh, and all the fun stuff you can get a heads up when we go on a month or two hiatus uh hey, hopefully, hopefully we should be good now for at least a while we'll see who, who knows, knows man maybe you know maybe babies will start gestating in a month but you know you never know uh it's it's not gonna happen on my end so uh if, if you want to if you want to happen on my end chase i can tell you right now but uh no it's uh so yeah like Chase said, because he is the great Chase, he tells everyone exactly what you need to do, just like it needs to be told. No one does it better. But in the meantime, uh, you know, also like you know, do those things because we, we're we're really scary and uh, and threatening. Yeah, so scary! Look at the spear. I have a spear. I'm going to kill you. We're invisible to you, so you have no idea. Yeah, I have two feet. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> To be honest, podcasting really is the most important thing. Yeah, I've really let that slip in the whole taking care of another human thing. Yeah, yeah. How could you? Honestly, how dare you? I, I've heard that cleanliness is next to godliness and that podcasting is next to cleanliness and that like fatherhood doesn't even make that list. So Yeah, so it's kind of like a one, two, three rank situation and fatherhood is like 57. I mean, you don't even know where it is. It's not even on the yeah. list.